Isogenic environments have been part of the obesity intervention landscape for nearly 20 years now. The idea was muted in 1999 with uh, Boyd Swinburne, um, then in Australia, um, he's giving an idea of what uh, um, environments that predispose to obesity might look like. Now, um, the environments in which obesity emerges and persists, persists have been, has been characterised in very particular structured and geographical ways and usually in relation to urbanism. The obesogenic environments model of obesity is very easily intuited. I mean, it includes all aspects of environments, physical and social, that promote gaining weight and which are not conducive to weight loss. Obesogenic environments are easily identified by a great preponderance of motorised transport in cities, for example, and of sedentary occupations, and of the cheap and easy availability of high-fat, high-refined carbohydrate foods. They're present in the urban landscapes in most high-income countries, and it might be that major institutional and structural forces involved in urban planning and regulation in high-income countries are also involved in obesity production. In this frame, what makes life convenient and energy efficient at the individual level also promotes obesity. So, taking the car to get a pint of milk, sitting down rather than standing up, using the car instead of cycling, all of these uh, are conducive to producing obesity. Despite the widespread use of the term, obesogenic environments are actually quite difficult to define because all urban environments reflect their design and use assemblages, both past and present, and they don't automatically predispose to obesity. In addition, establishing causal relationships between environmental factors and obesity is very challenging indeed, largely because it's difficult to measure proximate factors that might contribute to obesity, factors such as population diet and physical activity in everyday life. You know, usually we work on sample surveys. The way in which diet is measured is, is notoriously inaccurate. And so actually coming to some conclusion about whether it's driven by diet or physical inactivity uh, continues to be debated and argued over. Neighbourhood factors, when you think about urban places, neighbourhood factors and local food environments have been related to, to obesity rates. And there's data on that, even if there isn't on individual... Um, um, on, on population diet and physical activity. Um, it's also difficult to measure social norms as they relate to diet and physical activity. And while many people in high-income countries live in environments that can be characterised as being obesogenic, not everyone living in such contexts becomes obese. In fact, most people don't. This may be in part due to variation in genetic predisposition and epigenetic susceptibilities, but it's also due to variation in, in environmental exposure and in human behaviour. <clears throat> well, I've said that obesogenic environments have been discussed for nearly 30 years, but obesogenic environments haven't always been with us. Certainly no sense of them prior to World War II. They've been created largely, unwittingly, in late modern society. They've come with the marginalisation of physically active transport and with the privileging of the motor car, which has resulted in many places in road and highway infrastructure that disadvantages active transport. 
giving an example from Australia in the city of Perth, um, the older city, which you know goes back um, um, you know easily into the 19th century, this was restructured using a modernist metropolitan plan based on low-density suburban housing, car transport, and a freeway system. This was after World War II. So, following the modernist ideal, the, the city was structured around separate land use, with work in one place, and shopping, recreation, sleeping, all of them in other locations. In the city centre at that time, signs throughout stated boldly that your car is as welcome as you are. The creation of obesogenic environments has also been helped by the displacement of small local shops that can be walked to and the simultaneous construction of large supermarkets that require a car for access and which encourage food shopping in bulk. Obesogenic environments have developed with ever-increasing commuting times and the speeding up of everyday life such that cooking and eating together become difficult, even for those people who are heavily committed to the idea. Obesogenic environments can be found across the urban landscape of most high-income countries, but it's in Australia that the idea was given its intellectual form. The concept with Swinburne, the concept of the obesogenic environment and the analytical framework with which it was described was developed by Swinburne and other public health researchers in the late 1990s in response to an identified need for methods that would allow the environment, which was increasingly being acknowledged as a contributor to population-level obesity, to be rigorously and systematically studied. The Angelo grid proposed by Boyd Swinburne. What does Angelo stand for? It's the Analysis Grid for Environments Linked to Obesity. So the framework is the Analysis Grid for Environments Linked to Obesity. So this was a grid, obviously, which was an instrument, a tool for systematically describing and analysing obesogenic environments. As a model of obesity, it moved thinking about the environmental contribution to obesity in vague terms to the identification of individual factors and features of the environment that could be studied, measured, and potentially modified. The obesogenic environments model offers a means of representation through the Angelo framework and a high degree of generality, although its use for hypothesis generation is very limited. Early application of the Angelo framework highlighted the complexity of factors in the environment that contribute to obesity and health more broadly, as well as the powerlessness of individuals to address many of these factors. Staying within Australia, the archetypal obesogenic environment was in the city of Geelong in Victoria between the 1990s and 2000s. The proposers of this construct worked at Deakin University, which has its main campus in Geelong. In Geelong, as elsewhere in urban high-income settings, income country settings, obesogenic environments include physical structures, processes and ways of living that developed with the growth of the city. Motor car manufacture underpinned the Geelong economy from the 1920s onwards, and post-World War II, returning servicemen soon naturalised the idea of driving. That is, you know, many of them came from poor backgrounds, but they attained a training in motor car use. They gained experience of using motor cars. So it was only natural returning that you know, there was already a 
predisposed audience, a predisposed market for motor cars and the expansion of the motor industry after 1945. With the car came petrol stations and supermarkets, and by the 1960s the sense was that to be modern, convenience should be sought for at every opportunity. By the 1980s, shopping malls and stripland fast food outlets expanded and extended in Geelong, displacing small shops in the city centre and changing patterns of food provisioning. That is, people were more likely to take the car to the supermarket than they were to go to a small store in the city centre. The expansion of Geelong with its suburbs also um, facilitated this. Convenience became a marketable commodity in its own right. Convenience stores, convenience foods, convenient transport. More generally, the cost of convenience has been the rise of obesity and Geelong grew to have among the highest rates of obesity in Australia. To its credit, the Greater Geelong City Council has since strived to make its city less obesogenic and the Victorian Population Health Survey of 2014 shows a small decline in adult obesity rates there most recently, after increases, rapid increases between 2008 and 2012. And to Perth's credit, returning to the earlier example, in 1993 it was the first city outside of any Scandinavian country to conduct a major public spaces public life survey by which to help improve the walkability of the, of the city, a study that was repeated in 2009. I'd say that these studies also led to significant changes in, in, uh, in, uh, in, in Perth to indeed make it more water walkable in places like waterfronts and places of beauty. Okay, so returning to Geelong, it's, it's easy to outline specifically, superficially, the macro-level causes of population obesity between the 1990s and 2000s, and also to outline superficially the macro-level causes of obesity in other towns and cities like it. Economic change, economic insecurity, suburbanization, declining in traditional industries, the comfort eating that assuages individual insecurity, the ready availability of cheap, convenient, high-energy-density foods, and the motorised transport with which to get it. All of this has happened against a backdrop of almost universal le sedentary leisure across, across Australia and rising economic inequality that has helped structure the urban environment such that the lowest in status in Geelong have become the most obese and the most exposed to obesogenic environments as across the rest of Australia and most other high-income countries. Public health responses to widespread obesity in Australia have included a wide range of initiatives promoting good nutrition, physical activity and the maintenance of healthy weight during early childhood and in early childhood set settings, focusing largely on individual, familial and community resistance against obesogenic environments. However, they don't usually consider structural reasons for obesity, including the creation of obesogenic environments in the first place. The Geelong case study is not exceptional to many others like it in most high-income countries, and it emphasises the need to study local histories in more global contexts to understand how the conditions for obesity production come into place. 
The idea of obesogenic environments as triggers for genetic susceptibilities to obesity through energy imbalance is easy to grasp. And this might be a reason why it's popular among researchers, policymakers, practitioners and people. Policy approaches to control or regulate aspects of such environments are plentiful, but they're difficult to coordinate. Many expert systems are involved in building and maintaining urban environments, and the possible obesogenicity of such environments is unplanned for. Expert systems operating together create the technological complexity of modern life. This is, to a large extent, black-boxed, however, and it's not easily available for governmental regulation if their operations were to predispose to obesity, which some of them do. In policy terms, ameliorating obesogenic environments is difficult. This is because any major structural change is expensive and can involve many stakeholders and risks affecting people's livelihoods in negative ways. As ecologists, expert systems will always adapt and stabilise in response to regulatory forces, but outcomes of adaptations to new regulation are difficult to envision by anybody. Before effecting change to such systems, there needs to be clear evidence that this will clearly reduce obesity rates. Such evidence is usually either lacking or is conditioned by a range of other factors. With respect to one expert system, the food system, Structural change usually focuses on reformulation of foods and their distribution and providing evidence and information to inform individual choice. Change rarely goes any further, however. People need to eat, and the existing food system is very efficient in delivering food, albeit of often high energy density and low nutrient quality, to those that can afford that food. Furthermore, the food industry carries significant economic power and employs great numbers of people, and these factors alone make it fairly immune to governmental intervention. The food system is one of several expert systems that structure the everyday lives of people. Such systems are minimally touched by regulators for fear that any tweaking of them will disturb the networks of relationships between them, potentially making life worse for everybody. People live in environments that are constructed through social, political and economic processes, both historically and into the present day. What has now become obesogenic in many parts of cities, although not universally so, is often a matter of chance. No individual, agency or corporation or institution planned for obesity, and yet, in making life more convenient, making life more systematic, making life more efficient, you know, especially the functioning of cities, the the streamlining of the economy and, and, and so on. Um, obesity is very much something that has merged out of uh, these expert systems, um, largely because um, it was an unexpected um, emergence. Thank you.